Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. When people deny you things, you go on and do it yourself. And that's what I like about our guest today is a person who just go and do it himself. And it's not like, let's build this low-income housing over here in this area, and then let's build this really bougie housing over here in this other area. So, so Marty, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't usually hear white people say the term bougie. So you say bougie, (laughs) what does bougie mean, Marty? As a white guy, what? I got to tell you, though, I don't it's so hard to navigate what you're supposed to say and what you're not supposed to say, what you're supposed to address, how you're supposed to address people. People are almost just itching to be offended. We all step in it. When you start talking about race and issues now, we all grew up in this game called red light, green light. You're familiar with that. And everybody wanted to be it. If that makes sense. You need to put good looking next to it. <laughs> you know what, Bill? The good looking black guy, Marty said they call him all these names. And I'm like, I'm okay with whatever they call Marty as long as they don't call him the good looking black guy. We're <laughs> there are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill. You got to have one. A token black person? And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we've come to you just saying thank you for all your many blessings. Just thank you for the gift that you gave our family as we continue to move forward. And just let's be mindful, God, of the donor, who had the wherewithal to donate their organs so that my sister, who was the recipient, have another chance at life. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just lift up uh, Odell's sister who received a double lung transplant that she recovers. And we thank you for the donor and their family for the gift of life. I want to lift up my wife and daughter. They both donated kidneys. My daughter two weeks ago, and uh, and uh, my wife a couple of years ago. And uh, we just thank you for for their gifts of life to two people that would have probably passed had they not gotten a new kidney. Amen. So, Dell, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good, Bill. You know, look like I just just keep seeing you. Saw you early this morning at the country club. We were presented to a rotary. How did you enjoy that? I did. I did. You know, I, I'm not a member of a country club. It's not my cup of tea. I know you belong to about five or six, don't you? <laughs> no comment, sir. No comment at all. But it that that Rotary Club has an interesting history. You know, uh, Greensboro Country Club years ago, uh, they wouldn't allow Jews and blacks. OK. And so what the Jewish community did, they started their own country club. And that's where we were. And uh, if you walk in, if you notice in the top 
uh, the front of the building, when you walk in, there's a star of David. And uh, so that was, that was the uh, Jewish country club. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times where when people deny you things, you go on and do it yourself. Not that them denying you is right or wrong is the fact that you just go ahead and do it yourself. And that's what I like about our guest today is a person who just go and do it himself. Not that it's right or wrong. He's just going to go and do it. Phil, can you introduce our guest to the audience today? I would love to. You know, I I have a nickname for him. For, his name is Marty Cotis, but I have a nickname for Marty. It's called Make It Happen Marty. <laughs> Say that again, Bill. Say that again. Make It Happen Marty. And he does. And I think this guy, doesn't he hang out in Midtown? He does. He Well, not only hangs out, he built it. <laughs> so okay. All it's his, right. it's his, his play box. And uh, okay. we have a lot of mutual, we have a lot of mutual friends, uh, representative John Hardister, who, you know, uh, is a good friend of his. In fact, we probably need to get John on the show just to harass him. Uh, and he's a good guy, but uh, John would be great. Yeah, he would be. And Marty's been on the show before. He's got the uh, probably the best voice for for this podcast that I've ha- we've had. It. He has another career. It's going to be in broadcasting. <clears throat> the uh, of course, it would, you know, like Odell and myself, you, it wouldn't be TV. It'd probably be radio because we're not that good looking, except for Odell. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. Speak for yourself, Bill. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> but uh, uh, Marty, Marty's been in in the area for a long time. He's been a developer. Uh, he's, he started out as a young man developing properties and been successful. And, uh, he's, a he's, he's very important to our community and giving back as well and supporting people. And, uh, we're just proud to have you on the show for a second time. Welcome Marty. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm so, so Marty- happy that, um, that your sister uh, was able to get that transplant Odell. That's, uh, you don't hear about that every day, double lung transplant. And Bill, that's, uh, that's amazing that your uh, family was able to donate kidneys. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, we, 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 this podcast is about a black Democrat and a white Republican. And particularly at the uh, country club today, Odell spoke and I spoke, and it was about race relations and how to break down barriers and have those hard communications or hard discussions. Uh, but my wife, my daughter donated her kidney to a black man. And it, and it occurred to me that organs don't care the color of your skin. They just want to work and be, and be functional. And so I, and I know the guy is good at, he works at Havana Phil's and uh, I'm going to, I haven't seen him since the transplant. Cause he's got, he's got to be kind of cloistered because he's going through some of the uh, uh, drugs that, help you from rejecting the organ. So he kind of stays away. But when he comes back, I'm going to really give him a hard time because I'm going to say, you've got a female body part in there and I'm going to start buying you pink things. <laughs> Marty, you know what? Pay, pay, pay bill, no attention. But Hey, thank you for the kind words for my sister. Uh, that's my older sister. Um, been knowing her my whole life, but it's just interesting when stuff like this happens uh, makes you really reflect. So, Marty, have you been behaving yourself? I, I, I just I Google Marty, Marty Coates and all kind of things pop up. Tell the audience what what how what have you been doing lately? Because you've been doing a lot, my friend. I think I, uh, I suffer from the uh, same ailment that you do, Odell, of uh, speaking your mind, and uh, and others uh, aren't used to that. 
So, uh, uh, and Bill, you as well. Um, so uh, some of the bigger projects I've been working on recently, we, uh, we got our zoning for uh, the high ground project, which is 10 acres on North Battleground near New Garden, a uh, project that we hope will be a mixed use project with about a hundred and some apartments. Uh, it'll have about 40,000 feet of retail, but it will be uh, mixed use in there with a cool place where people can live, work and play something we don't have enough of in the city that's uh, walkable. And the, the company I formed with Will Stevens, we're 50-50 partners on that, is uh, called Walkable Lifestyle. Hmm. And so we wanted to do projects where people could, could walk around and, uh, and enjoy that uh, bigger city feeling. You know, I feel like we're losing some millennials because we don't have uh, the, the amenities that they need or the, the types of housing that they um, really desire out there. Uh, so that's one big project. The um, other big project is uh, Publix, who we were under a non-disclosure with announced. Uh, they didn't tell me before and they went ahead and announced. So we had to scramble that uh, they were going into my Westover Gallery of Shops project uh, with a new um, uh, Taj Mahal uh, type public store there. Uh, two-level parking garage that we're paying wow. for ourselves. No, no city funding in that. And uh, uh, they're, they're top-line publics there. Uh, mm-hmm. And that will, uh, that will involve a little bit of demolition and rebuild there, but it's, uh, it's exciting. I've been working on that area since 1991 and this particular project for eight years. Wow. wow. Um, so those are really two of the uh, big things. And then, I'm always uh, making trouble. It seems like down at the uh, at Chapel Hill, where I serve on the Chapel Hill Board of Trustees of the University of North Carolina, um, and always uh, pushing forward more uh, street art. So, and, and unfortunately, another thing that happened just this last week was uh, my uh, Daryl's Woodfire Grill uh, had a hood fire, and so we had to uh, deal with that. And fortunately, uh, no one was injured. Uh, it was while we were uh, getting ready to open, so no guests were in there, and we we uh, got that tackled and have most of the repairs done uh, within a week and a half. So, wow, that's wow. great, that's great. Well, fires, hood fires are tough stuff. The uh, you got yeah, yeah, they are on the building. That's that's great. I'm glad it came out okay. <clears throat> I got a question about the publics. Um, how do you go about? getting publics interested in a piece of property. You have to go down to Florida and meet them down there. Or how's that? They have a real estate company. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So you start usually with um, people will say, send me a package. So you send them a package and we did on several sites that might make sense. Uh, We met with them at places like the international council of shopping centers, which has meetings and Charlotte. There'll be one that we attend uh, mid next month. Another one in Vegas that usually is in May and one in Atlanta in October. Those are the three that mainly cover the Carolinas. So meet with them there, have meetings. And um, and actually, Mayor Vaughn came down a few years ago to meet with uh, Publix with me. Uh, I believe that was a Charlotte show that she attended. Um, and, and then we fly down to meet with them. So I brought my construction team down, development team down. We met with them at their headquarters, and then um, they come up tour, and it just takes a long time with a project like that to get it done. Yeah, when you're a big corporation like that, they don't move quick, they but they do move. 
They don't, but boy, they are going to be a huge investor in this city with that massive distribution center out east. That's going to be some great jobs. And, you know, the Boom Sonics of the world are wonderful, but it's nice to have a variety of jobs for different uh, skill levels out there uh, for our workforce. How many square footage is that distribution center there, Bill? I know they added a second one. I think it's like 2 million square feet. It's really big. Yeah, when you go Um, out there, it's huge. Just the store alone is uh, 45,000 feet, and we'll have 150 employees there. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Now, there's got to be a lot of logistics because that's an existing product uh, property with uh, people that have leases. So how do you? Yeah, so I started that. (laughs) Yeah, I started that project back in 91. And one of the reasons that a project like this takes a while to get done is you have to wait for uh, leases to expire or find places to um, request that tenants move and things like that. And so that's why, you know, some of those spaces in there I've held vacant for a number of years because I needed that space in order to demolish and rebuild. And it really only affects one existing tenant right now, which is um, Osteria uh, that I had put in. But I told them, five years ago, six years ago, that this was happening. And Coach O, the owner's kind of laid back. So he uh, he said, well, when it happens, it happens. And we'll worry about moving. <laughs> so uh, he called me the other day. He said, I guess we need to have that conversation about where to move. Yeah. Well, you got some <laughs> properties you can put them up in. and uh, Yeah. He could move over to the uh, Taste of Thai space, which yeah. is um, uh, just beside that where uh, Joe Thupson, the owner, retired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or other places where he may choose to go in someone else's space too. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got, he's got great food, by the way, he's from Albania. People would associate the food as Italian, um, but it's Albanian and uh, really tasty. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I've been there a number of times and it's, it's worth the trip folks. If you you get a chance, go, go have some meals. Maybe you can have the last supper there before he moves. Yeah. (laughs) And his, uh, I want to say it's his sister and his brother-in-law have uh, Dolce, uh, which is the uh, coffee shop and um, Albanian bakery, uh, just down next to World of Beer. Oh, okay. And so uh, they will be remaining in that space. No, that's great. Didn't he open a pizza place over where Southern Lights used to be? He opened a uh, chicken place. Oh, chicken place. Okay. That was, uh, that's really good too, called Ember. M-B-U-R. I have not been there. You know, Odell and I like fried chicken. Uh, but his his version of fried chicken is different than mine. I, I go with Kentucky fried, and he goes, that in fried chicken. I'll show you fried chicken. I like Nashville hot. That's my favorite. Where is they have one in town? No, I'm getting ready to do one um, up in Eden, uh, North Carolina. Um, the two things that are missing from that market are uh, a Chick-fil-A and a sports bar. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a uh, Chick-fil-A meets Nashville hot chicken meets sports bar. Oh, what a great concept. You yeah. just throw, throw some so. bourbon in there and you'd have a, I think you'd have a home run. I know, right? By the way, did you drink that bourbon I gave you? I did. I'm nearing the, uh, the bottom of the bottle. It was very tasty. Thank you, you so much for that. And you must've had one of the defective bottles that had a crack in it then. <laughs> it's sit, actually it sits in my uh, office i have um i'm at home today uh i had a uh that first meeting ran late so i didn't want to 
take the time to get into the office. I figured y'all would rather just have me casual than have me uh, too much uh, later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Well, we just picked out our new barrel about three weeks ago, and uh, it should be coming in. When it does, I'll make sure you get a bottle. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and we'll send you an invite to come to the Derby party at uh, B. Christopher. See if you can. John usually comes in the date and stuff, so you're welcome to join us. Great. Odell? I have I have enjoyed plenty of mint julep. Um, sometimes I've enjoyed way too many mint juleps. <laughs> Let me tell you. The, uh, the Derby. It's, they go down uh, it's deceiving. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like a hurricane down in New Orleans. They, yeah. they, they're they loaded up with a lot of alcohol and you do one, it tastes so good. You got to have a second. And then after that, you're, you're toast. It reminds me of some, uh, some friends of mine that are from like Southern Virginia that makes sweet tea that is about like syrup. <laughs> and so, and then julep with heavy sweet tea. Yeah. Just, if you're a diabetic, that is not a drink for you. <laughs> Sugar like crazy. I don't think I've told you all this down at the, um, experiential school that I have downtown across from the depot that was the uh, Bardolph building. Mm-hmm. We're actually going to uh, Brian Lewis, Jex, the artist uh, has agreed to do uh, two murals uh, that I'm commissioning him to do of um, Dorothy Bardolph and Avon Johnson uh, oh, wow. down there as big um, um, murals on the building with his, uh, his photorealism and grayscale. Oh, wow. Oh, that'd be great. Was he, he, so hopefully that'll be in the next uh, three months that we get that done. Oh, that'd be great when the weather breaks a little bit. Yeah, those so, street artists don't like getting out there in the rain and cold. <laughs> yep. So Marty, just give us the give us the um, time when Bill and Odell Pitcher will be on some big mural. Uh, you know, just it, it's no problem. We won't charge <laughs> yeah. you any fee for our beautiful faces, anything like that. You know, Marty, you and others uh, have been involved with this economy for a long time. You know, we went from jobs in textile, tobacco, furniture. I remember that when I first got here. Boy, I was here 30, going to 40 years now. And now we're dealing with stuff like Boom Supersonics. We're dealing with Toyota um, battery plants, electric battery plants. We're dealing with the big Amazons and all these other things. And to your point of public, so in three years from now, when everything comes in place, housing, affordable housing, and when I say affordable housing, I'm not mean housing for people, poor folks, I mean affordable working housing. And I think that's that's a big deal right now to a certain degree. Now, I'm going to switch on you a little bit on the fact that when actually, people let me start- follow up on that comment first. Odell. Yes, I'm, go ahead. I'm actually doing a um, tomorrow. I'm spending the full day over at A&T with a uh, leadership group that's focused on affordable housing. And we've got a, okay. a full day of uh, trying to creatively solve that problem. And uh, when you say affordable housing, define it for our audience, because a lot of people say working poor. Uh, when someone say affordable heart housing, some may look at it as public housing and stuff like that, because as a business person, it still has to make sense financially. You've really got a wide range out there of affordable housing. You've got publicly owned affordable housing out there where a municipality or state or federal government owns it, but really they prefer more of the private sector tackling. But that the way they do uh, low-income tax credits out there, um, it's a very clicky 
uh, type deal. So you have to have done one before in order to be approved to do one in the future. So I can just go out and build one and apply for LIHTC. Um, I would have to partner with somebody else and they're very selective because they, you know, they don't want to let somebody else in to be part of that process, which is a little flawed and could probably use some reforms. And I'll be talking about that tomorrow. But there's also affordable housing where you're just you're taking part of the housing and making it more affordable for um, the people in that area. And usually that's like a percentage of income. So it's you're you're dropping the price down. You've got some market rate apartments. That's like normal pricing. And then you have some affordable housing that is a lower uh, price geared towards people that can't afford it as much to have a lower average income. And that seems to be kind of the best solution out there because you're mixing income levels and demographics. And it's not like, let's build this lower income housing over here in this area. And then let's build this really bougie housing over here in this other area. Um, so, so uh, Marty, it's, wait it's a minute, a wait a minute. I don't usually hear white people say the term bougie. So you say bougie. What does bougie mean, Marty? As a white guy, what does bougie mean to you? Fancy, posh. In the English okay. word, posh. Yeah. Fancy, posh. Now, you can credit my uh, my various uh, mentees out there with keeping me uh, knowledgeable of all the various uh, terms and also clubhouse, too. Okay. Um, I'm the, uh, the student body president uh, member of the Board of Governors uh, invited me to Clubhouse, and I was on there like a fiend for about uh, two months, and then I, <laughs> I think I, I got a little burned out. That it um, it can be addicting. Well, what is Clubhouse? I, I don't know what that is. Yeah, that's Clubhouse. a whole other deal, Bill. I just I just got off of Facebook, but but Bill, I'm coming to you. But I just need to ask Marty something. Marty, when a store comes in, you did the Publix. You worked on it for years. From a black person's perspective, when people look at putting a grocery store in the black community. And I'll just use that term loosely right now, the black yeah. community. Um, a lot of those communities don't get selected. You hear things like, well, Odell, they don't have the disposal income. Well, there's a lot of stealing going on. Well, it's this, well, is that. Help us understand what it takes and why don't we put grocery stores in the black community and also, I know we put drugstores, the, the, the um, CVSs, because I could always tell whatever town I'm going through, I could tell what part of town I'm on based on certain type of stores. I could look at certain stores and like, okay, I could just, and I could even tell now riding through the income, what income level I'm in based on riding through certain cities and seeing how the neighborhoods change, just looking at the stores, because I've learned that over the years. So help us understand that help us understand that whole process. Sure, yeah. So usually it's not, I've never heard a, um, a grocer um, other than some of the Asian or Hispanic grocers, um, like a Li Ming uh, or a uh, Compare Foods, where it's a very ethnic focused grocery store that is there, like Compare Foods will want to make sure that they have enough Hispanic population in an area in order to put that Hispanic grocery store in there because they're carrying certain products. Right. Leeming does the same thing with their Asian grocery store. Those are the only two I've heard of that really look at demographics in terms of ethnicity. 
all the other grocery stores out there that I've worked with um, focus on income levels. And, and the ma- they're just, it's just math for them. So they will say, let's say you've got 50,000 people and the average household is 100,000 versus another area with 50,000 people and the average house- household is 30,000. They will say that the higher income average households have more dollars to spend on groceries, on clothes, on cars, on everything else, just from a a formula math standpoint, because you can't spend what you don't have on these things. Right. Um, So that, that's usually the main concern. That's why you see targets, Harris Teeters, Starbucks, you can see, I mean, you want to figure out where the moneyed areas are in the city. You can just kind of follow that. Now, if you go to Atlanta, you're going to see them all over the place. So, I mean, you go to cities that are highly um, African-American, you still see grocery stores there, but those are in areas where the income levels are higher. Um, And it's not that you don't see any grocery stores, but in lower income areas, there's less of them. And, And that creates a real problem because you've got people that often don't have transportation too. Right. And so, you know, that was a big, reason I did a lot of the changes I did up to my center out at um, Lee's Chapel and uh, church food line there was to better connect that grocery store, which I didn't build with the neighborhoods behind it so that people could walk there as well. But um, it's, it's tough. And so, you know, you're trying to bring people into a market. It's same, same reason we're not getting a, a Neiman Marcus in Greensboro. You know, they're going to look at, Greensboro and say there's not enough people and there's not enough income compared to a uh, Charlotte, for instance. Got you. So it's not always racism. It's not always redlining. It's it's nuts and bolts. Bottom line is the money there for people to support it or not. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know of any big companies out there that are making decisions based on race uh, again other than like to compare foods or lean Ming, where they're looking for enough people that would buy their particular product and they found that that product is um, based on those consumers now we see it sometimes though we do see um, it'd be interesting for you to bring in there's some uh, programmers out there that kind of go through and, and profile where profitable stores are for different um, businesses. And then based on that data, the retailer will use that to select their new sites. And so, you know, maybe that does include some race in that, in that decision-making too. Um, we don't see it on any of the, when I'm at ICF International Council Shopping Centers and looking at what the uh, retailers require in terms of information about a site, race never factors in. It's always traffic count, income um, levels, and density of population. How many people are there? Right. And Marty, one thing about race, you don't have to always ask the question. You don't have to ask, is Odell black or not? You could just look and see that Odell's a good looking black guy. So, you know, you don't even have to ask the question to <laughs> go from there. So I wonder, Bill, how many models are out there saying, okay, we need to go serve black folk. Um, not always, but a lot of times the African-American community does not have the same income level as others. 
And so you asked the question, how is food deserts formed? And I guess food deserts are formed because entities who make certain decisions says, no, we're not going there. On you, Bill. Well, you know, you're talking about, yeah, I was a brand manager for Vaseline products. And uh, we would do the same sort of thing, Marty, with consumer packaged goods. We'd look at heavy users and and those would be our target audience uh, primarily because they're heavy users. <clears throat> and um, and then you would you would do your marketing or your advertising, uh, let it be billboard or whatever, supporting local stores or TV stations that hit those markets. And it was interesting, Vaseline Petroleum Jelly, <clears throat> Uh, the heavy users are the uh, black community. They've, they've yeah. for years have used petroleum jelly. And the biggest user of petroleum jelly in the world is black Africa. Uh, hmm. the, we, we would send, there's three companies that make petroleum, Vaseline petroleum jelly. There's one, it was in Perth Amboy, one in Germany, and there's one, I think in China or the far East, but they would send uh, uh, boatloads of, uh, the mixture, and then they would mix it with the local mineral oil and make petroleum jelly. But the reason I tell you that story is <clears throat> when I was a brand manager, we were trying to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we reach the black community that's the heavy user? What shows are they watching? What billboards are in their community that we can use? What kind of graphics do we need to use? How do we communicate with them? <clears throat> so companies are driven, as Marty said, not by the color of skin, but by the business opportunity. And if the business opportunity is there, they're going to go in. You're right, Bill. You're so right. Because when you look at business opportunities, one of the things that the demographics must show, because I see it in my community, ABC stores, liquor stores, one on every corner in certain black communities, payday loan stores, one on every corner, uh, rent to own stores. And I used to preach a sermon. Why is it so expensive to be poor? Why is it so expensive to be poor? So we know the demographics work because you could go and look at a family dollar, a um, Dollar Tree, you know, certain stores, and you kind of know where you are. So so go ahead, Bill. I just wanted to jump in there and throw that out there because, you know, the liquor stores know, the rent-to-own stores know, the payday loan know a store. Back in the old days, Marty, you're too young to remember this. There's something called a pawn shop. Used to be a lot no, of pawn shops. I mean, in the there's black still a lot of pawn shops out there targeting. I mean, the, the I, I've got uses that I will not lease to, and uh, pawn shops are one. Vape shops are another. These internet cafes, which are just a license to steal from the uneducated and the poor, I won't lease to either. Um, and and uh, the tobacco shops as well. So you know, there's certain things out there that I think prey on the uh, local population and I, I won't put them in my centers. That is fantastic. There was no pawn shops in Perma, right, Bill? No, no pawn shops in Perma. No, you could, you could go down to Cleveland and find a couple, but not in Parma. <laughs> not in Parma. And there weren't a lot of fried chicken either. <laughs> the, uh, there's not a lot of fried chicken. The, uh, Hey Marty, I got a question. You know, you, you, you're a man of, of, of doing a lot of things. You got the Chapel Hill and a lot of other things. Can you share something that's coming that you're working on a project without spilling the beans, or is it something that you might have another confidentiality agreement? You can't do it. No. Yeah. I think one of the most exciting, so I just came off the, I was on the board of governors from uh, 2013 to 2021, which there's an eight year limit 
for Senate appointees. So I came off Who appointed and you? then joined the, um, the Senate. So um, Trudy Wade and Phil Berger. Okay. Um, and for this most recent appointment, uh, Phil Berger. Good. Um, and I know some people uh, that love them and some people uh, don't. And there's an awful lot of people that feel the same way about me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, you know, I'd say one of the projects that I worked on over the years, other than trying to bring kind of a business sense to um, the universities and, and for instance, at uh, Chapel Hill, which was running a hundred million dollar structural deficit that we were able to wow. fix. Now say um, that again. You know, that, he was running a hundred million dollar structural deficit, and we've been able to uh, to fix that. Wow, that's a big number. So, you know, it, it, and it's yeah, it's a real big number. Um, but you know that that's the stuff that doesn't get a lot of attention. But the other thing that I've been a big proponent of, and I. I told a lot of people, I told you though, all during what I was for an expansion of our online ad programs so that we could better reach uh, working uh, adults out there that had some uh, college education, uh, but um, had to stop out uh, for some reason. And so Project Kitty Hawk is a massive endeavor where we are trying to reach those um, uh, uh, over a million North Carolinians with some college, but not a degree. Uh, we also were able to tackle uh, previously um, coordinating with the community colleges to make sure that people had a path to a university degree or a reverse path from a partial university degree to a community college uh, degree. Uh, but Kitty Hawk is going to take things to the next level, and that's uh, pushing our online ad even further, uh, reaching more working adults, uh, people that have had to stop out, people that have challenging schedules or family obligations. And, um, you know, you can't do it only online. Um, you, you know, you've got to make sure you've got the bricks and mortar and the place the support out there as well. But uh, I'm very excited about that project i think oh, that, that's that going to be a, a big deal it sounds fantastic i mean that's huge one of the things that i think would be useful you mentioned in our last podcast uh and listeners that are entrepreneurs that are going to go into development real estate development uh tell us the story how you did your first one because the first one is always a challenge because uh, <laughs> you don't have the reputation the banks don't know who you are the, the tenants aren't sure you're going to do it so Walk us through how you started that first one. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I think back to really two projects that stand out. Uh, one was the first building where Westover Gallery is that I'll be demolishing uh, about two thirds of that building. Uh, but I'll keep um, the other third, which fortunately has my limestone uh, cornerstone in it so that uh, I don't have to get rid of that. <laughs> um, and. And that was a uh, that was a warehouse, environmentally contaminated site that had a ton of issues. And and in, in order to add value to that site, I went over to Friendly Center. I met with the tenants over there. I uh, found out what interested them, like having more storefront and different features. And then I said, you know, what if I you know built a better looking building? And so I designed a prototype for Westover Gallery, I 
created really nice marketing materials. I went and met with all those potential tenants and I pre-leased the whole building before I ever uh, broke ground. Wow. I had to, cause I, I couldn't get the wow. money otherwise for it. And, um, I had to solve a lot of problems with that site with contamination and soils and everything, got all that done. So it was a trial by fire on that project and, um, and got it built and leased out. It was a very good project, made money from day one for me because I'd built in all that hard sweat equity into the, uh, into the deal. And another one that was a uh, fun project was the, um, um, around that same time, was the uh, Hollywood Video and Brugger's Bagels on Battleground Avenue. I call it my stealth bomber design because I did a zigzag front on there so that the front of the building would not be parallel to the street, but instead create a series of uh, surfaces for signage that would be at an angle to the street so you could see it. And uh, that one I had to, the other one I had a hole that I had to fill. This one I had a hill that I had to cut with a big retaining wall. And um, uh, pre-leased that as well. And I remember going borrowing money from uh, uh, a friend of mine's, her father, at fifteen percent interest. Oh wow! And uh, oh. Uh, to build that, to build that out, you know. But early on, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do to to get it built. And I was able to repay him within a year. Uh, not, not I refinanced it, but repay him within a year and much lower rate. And, um, uh, but he was very helpful in, uh, in getting me, um, uh, move forward. You know, the, while you were doing those projects, cause you're a young man, you had a family, right? At the time. No, no family, just me. So. Okay. So, so you could live in your car. What? Cause if you didn't have a lot of money, you could, you could pack up and so that your overhead was personal overhead was low. Yeah. Yeah. My overhead was real low back then. I didn't move into my first house house um until 97 when i moved up to summerfield how old were you when you did that first deal um when i started working on it or when i <laughs> yeah good point there's a difference. I delivered the building in 94 i started working on it in 91 i got my broker's license when i was i took my class when i was 17 and I had to wait oh, to take wow. the test when i was 18 wow that's um, great it's a great story great success story Thanks. Did, uh, did you go to college? Yeah. So I went to Carolina for yeah. undergrad business, Kenan Flagler School. And then while working, I went to UNCG for the MBA program. Okay. Great. That's fantastic. Odell? And then I've done like 15 designation programs out there because I'm always looking to learn. Right now on my plate is um, videography. I'm taking two online classes for that. Oh, wow. Well, if you ever want to, you know, I have a training company with online training for skills, like blueprint reading to welding to hydraulics, pneumatics. If you ever want to get into skills trade, let me know. I'll get you on some online classes. I've got CDL on my list for this year. So if you've got an online class for commercial driver's license, so I can drive my dump truck around. <laughs> um, that's, that's on my list for this year. <laughs> I'm trying to get Why, my son Spanish. To Spanish is on exactly. my list too. So. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Renaissance. You said Carolina, Bill. And when I came here to North Carolina from South Carolina, I would tell people graduated from Carolina and they're like, oh, great. Tatar Hills. I said, no, 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 no. 
not the Tar Heels, the Gamecocks. So, Marty, we know that <laughs> you say Carolina, you're referring to the Tar Heels, not the Gamecocks. But I'm going to say something, something else to the Tar Heels. I Googled you, and this popped up. UNC Chapel Hill trustee involved in debate between candidate for student body president sparks controversy. And I'm like, that's my, that's, that's my man, Marty. He right, he's right in the middle of it. But the article kind of, it talks about, but it kind of flips a little bit. And I want your opinion on this. It's almost like this is been pre-existing, the tension between Marty and the other individual. And it says it goes back to offer of tenure to the acclaimed journalist, Nicole Hannah-Jones, and everybody know her for the 1619 project. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. You know, you have to be careful with the media. So Marty, help set the record straight because yeah, sure. we, we all have different matters of opinion, but they're insinuating that maybe your issue, your underlying issue may be with journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. And when she was at Chapel Hill for tenure, and the whole 1619 project. What's your, what's your thoughts, sir? Yeah, so I, I wasn't on the board of trustees when um, that vote was made uh, June 30th. I was still on the board of governors. And the, the issue that they're referencing with uh, the student body president, Lamar Richards, who's also a trustee, is when that was going on, he went out and started saying that uh, people of color should not attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Wait, wait, he said black people should not attend Chapel Carolina. Hill. Yeah, if so you read his, Jordan, his letter, he wrote it in a letter. Worthy. The whole basketball team will go away, man, if you do that. Yeah, so so he's uh, uh, black and he's also in the LGBTQ community. Um, he um, he said he uh, that the the university was broken, systemically racist, and um, uh, people should not attend the university. And he was going to tell people not to attend. And I said, that's an over serious overreaction to an issue. If someone is not conferred tenure, and if, if someone's not being conferred tenure based on race, they should absolutely sue. And whoever made a decision based on race should be penalized because no one should be making any decisions in that boardroom uh, where they factor in uh, race and discriminate against anyone. Um, but it was, a, it was a fair amount of hyperbole, but I thought it was damaging to the university and damaging to students of color for him to tell them not to attend the university. And it was, a, it, it was an overly dramatic statement, but he did it several times. And that's where I took issue with him. So it wasn't, I wasn't, we weren't arguing on one side or the other of Nicole Hannah Jones' tenure. Uh, we were arguing about his statement about not, people not coming to uh, Carolina. And then, gotcha. you know, like a month later, he's saying, we really need to get our attendance numbers up for <laughs> uh, historically disadvantaged groups to come to Carolina. I'm saying, uh, Lamar, what, if you tell people not to come and then complain that they're not coming, that's a little bit of hypocrisy there. So, Marty, help me because the audience is screaming at me saying, Odell, Odell, ask Marty, why did he say that the gentleman is African-American and member of the LBGTQ community? Why did why did Marty put the LGBTQ community in there? Uh, because that's how he identifies himself. I, I think if you go to his Twitter page, that's how he leads in his discussion. 
right. Fair enough. So I'm Fair respecting enough. his self-description. I, I got to tell you, Adele, I don't, it's so hard to navigate what you're supposed to say and what you're not supposed to say, what you're supposed to address, how you're supposed to address people. I, I, you know, I'm trying the best I can. Who you doing? Listen, I step in it all the time from a black, white perspective. Um, we all step in it. I, I yeah. refer to it like this. When you start talking about race and issues now, we all grew up in this game called red light, green light. You're familiar with that. And everybody wanted to be it. And then later on in life, we understood uh, traffic signals. Uh, white folks call it traffic signals. Black folks say stoplights. So we understood red. We understood green. But yellow kind of got us in trouble because yellow meant wait. Now, imagine the you've been to Paris, the Arc de Triomphe. And that whole roundabout is so tricky now, and we have to be so careful and so purposeful that in the arc, the triumph, the roundabout, is no stop sight, stop lights, is no traffic signals. It's a different language. Cars are coming, uh, different culture. People are blowing at you. People are coming in, coming out, and everything else, and it's tricky. So. What's your suggestion or idea or wisdom on how do we navigate these tricky situations like you talked about earlier? You said, I just don't know what to say. How do you navigate it? Because you're a leader out there and whether you know or not know, you still have to navigate. You still have to lead. How do you navigate through the racial, the LGBTQ or the political or the religious landscape that we all are part of. And to your point, we all have a right to be in that space. How do you navigate that without running in the back of someone or someone sideswiping you? Because unintended consequences are still consequences. I think, I mean, I think we all stumble through it and you never know. It, it evolves. Things change from month to month, year to year on, uh, on what's supposed to happen. And I try and stay, current with that as best I can uh, in terms of what the preferred nomenclature is and, and how to address people. Um, but, um, you know, I'm sure the, the challenge is I think a lot of people really just are very anxious to be offended. It's almost wow. either the oh, care. Say that again, Marty. Now, say I think that people again. are, uh, people are anxious to be offended. I think there's, there's a Karen mentality throughout society these days where people are almost just itching to be offended so that they can complain about it. And, you know, maybe I do that some too. I, I don't know. Um, but I think we need to have more conversations like y'all are having, which is why I always enjoy uh, talking with uh, both you and Bill is um, dialogue is the solution. And the problem is the minute somebody like, oh, no, stop, I'm offended, you don't say that, then the dialogue stops. And then people can't have these conversations. You know, I, I have stuff said about me all the time. And I don't take it personally. I mean, I, you know, that's someone's opinion, they're right to say it. They may call me whatever. I'm like, if you if I know you're talking to me, that's good enough for me. But you don't have to call me Governor Codus or Trustee Codus or Marty or Mr. Codus or anything. It's whatever you want to call me. 
you know, prefer that they wouldn't call me like, hey, asshole, or something like that. But, you know, something, you know, <laughs> no, no, no. That's the name of the You know, I get called a lot of different oh names, too. And I'm, I'm the old guy, so, and I'm not going to use age as an excuse. However, I haven't put under my emails or on my uh, Zoom, he, she, and stuff like that. Nothing against anyone who does. I just, I, I haven't done that. That's just... I just haven't done that. If that Odell, makes sense, Odell, you need to put good looking next to it. You know what, Bill? The good looking black guy, Marty said they call him all these names. And I'm like, I'm okay with whatever they call Marty, as long as they don't call him the good looking black guy. We're not making fun <laughs> of it. But at the same time, uh, I'm trying to, you know, again, like everybody, I have uh, everybody say, I got a, a black friend. Listen, I have a lot of uh, LGBTQ friends, you know, people I respect and I associate with. So I, I don't have an issue there. That's not an issue. My issue may be the fact that I don't always keep up with what to do and what not to do. So it, it, it changes. Mm-hmm. If someone says, okay, Odell, should I call you black? Should I call you colored? Should I call you Negro? Should I call you what? What should I call you? And people have asked me, what, what do I say? I'm saying to Marty's point, I said, just say Odell. Just say Odell. Just say Odell. And we're fine with that. So I don't know, Bill, are you white? Are you Caucasian? What are you right well, now? Well, you know, you made me think of something. You know, you 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 offered our faces for a mural for for uh, Marty's, one of his street murals. And I was thinking if he does that, he's got to get an artist and get our skin tones right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. or you go grayscale. Oh, <laughs> even better yet. Even better. Yeah. I don't know about grayscale. Listen, listen, nothing worse than a black person. With you dark skin complexion like me, and you take the picture and all you see is teeth. Now nah, we don't want that. The lighting have to be right, Marty. The, the, the good looking black guy have to have the right lighting. You know? We got to powder his nose too. Hey, listen, do whatever have to be do as long as the brother looking good. As long as I'm looking good, we're doing fine. Oh, Dell, you, you have to pick like an orange shirt or something to, to wear and a thing like that. Hey, uh, listen, look, go on the website, look behind you. What do you see? An yeah. orange sweater. I know my colors. Yeah. I know the colors that make me look good. Listen, everybody <laughs> should know their colors. I know what makes, you know, like um, a young lady may say, these pants make my butt look too big. You know, you're not going to question that. You're not even going to go there. So I know what clothes to wear when it's picture taking time. I understand all that. Well, you know, I had a color artist tell me, you know, my color was black. <laughs> oh, Lord. Marty, Marty, and that's not even a color. Have a follow, to follow up on the uh, your question, Odell, you know, the reason I attended the, uh, it was virtual, it was a, uh, a Zoom call. The reason I attended the student body president debate was to better understand the student's perspective. And the article that's out there halfway paints it like I came in there to, to you know, beat up on some uh, young aspiring uh, politicians, but that's certainly not the case. I, I came in to learn from them and I learned something very valuable. I didn't know this. Their voting is all online. Um, and you would think, you know, I thought, gosh, I'm, you know, I've been on the board of governors. I'm pretty aware. I didn't realize that. But um, I talked with the chair of governance the other day and he wasn't aware. And uh, uh, other board members weren't aware of the online voting either. And only a 13 percent turnout, even though you can vote on your phone or or computer. So uh, I learned a lot about student perspectives in that meeting, and I, I learned uh, about the election process. And I think 
people that I like to be around are always seeking to understand the perspectives of others and are respectful in their dialogue with others. And when they, when they stop being respectful in their dialogue, they, um, that's a problem. Or if they're too easily offended and kind of shut down that way, that's a problem as well. But most of my friends fall in the, you know, let's all talk and have it out and have a discussion and not, uh, not uh, wear our hearts on our sleeves there. Yeah. The, uh, well, we're getting near the end, Marty, and we always ask our guests, uh, what, how do they find common ground? And uh, we're getting to the point we're going to ask you that question. And uh, also, uh, uh, thank you for sharing all your projects and the things you do for the city. We're, we look forward to you. are probably going to be the only person to be on our podcast three times because we're going to have you on <laughs> Well, Mark, do I get like an SNL if I get five? Do I get like, is there like a club with a uh, smoking yes, jacket? Of course. Hey, we got to come up with something for that, Odell. Yeah, but Marty, you know, you said people who are not easily offended. One of the things that keeps me in hot water, and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm to the point now where it's almost like a sauna, you know, being in hot water all the time. When you start talking about truthful things, now you have to be respectful. However, I get in trouble when I talk about black on black crime, people like you share, you know, you sharing our dirty laundry. People have come to me, black people came to me complaining. And I'm like, don't you think that white folks know when a black person kill another black person, what laundry are you sharing? Okay. Secondly, when you start talking about poverty or you start talking about prejudice, biases, stereotypes, those things, people don't want to hear it. So I think in a lot of cases, it's not that people have thin skin. A lot of times people don't want to hear about it. People don't want to hear about slavery. People don't want to hear about how the slave masters raped the women and how you had white kids running around the plantations. Like, where did that come from? You know, or how the um, young lady who the slave master would bring in and sleep with her. And when he leave, then his wife, the slave master's wife would beat her because she's having an affair with her husband. Like she has a choice in the matter. A lot of times people don't want to deal with the truth. And again, now the truth can be leaned one way or the other because the narrative, you know, whatever it is. A lot of times people, I grew up learning that black history started with slavery. Well, black history didn't start with slavery. So that's a whole nother deal. So I encourage you, Marty, to keep speaking your mind. Try to be much. I tell myself, try to be open-minded Odell to hear the other person's opinion but at the same time, I don't want my be so open minded that my brain falls out. And that's what people have issues with me. Um, I, I will never forget when I endorse a white Republican for Congress, Mark Walker. I had no idea of all the incoming criticism that came my way from the fact that he's a sellout. He's Uncle Tom. He got paid. He's this. He's that. And I'm sitting there saying. None of that's true. However, I looked at the two candidates and I evaluated the two candidates for my personal self because I believe the black vote is caught between a political rock and a hard place and the Democrats take the black vote for granted and the Republicans ignore the black vote. So I did something that I believed in for me and people will attack you when you're independent minded enough to make your own decisions. But I've grown because it did hurt. When you get shot by arrows and people say stuff that's not true about you, it does bother you and it bothers your family and affects more people. But I'm not backing up. I'm not stopping because at the end of the day, 
I believe. And that's what I admire about you. Do I agree with everything Marty says? Of course not. Did Marty agree with everything Odell say? Of course not. Do Marty and Bill agree with everything? Excuse me, do Marty and Odell agree with everything Bill says? Of course we do. So I said all that to Marty to say, keep being Marty, because guess what? If you wasn't strong in your convictions and your beliefs, then it wouldn't be a Midtown. It wouldn't be Marty Midtown. None of that would happen because how many people told you no over the years, Marty? A lot. Yeah, a lot of people. And I think yeah, I think that's one of the things you got to do is there are some people out there that really just want to fit in. And that's a that's a primal instinct of safety and numbers and and safety in a particular herd. And you look at like in prison, everybody kind of separates out into groups that they think will keep them safe. And I think we're seeing a lot of that these days where people are staying in one group or another and they think by doing that they're safer. And then they, you know, the evil is the other side out there. And where, you know, I, I feel like I am and probably y'all are as well as. I don't, I don't play in that group. I'm not in that group out there. I'm more independent. So I tend to get attacked by both sides, unfortunately. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, it's like one side gets me one day, another side gets me another. I'll have, you know, attack from the left. I'll have an attack from the right because I don't fit neatly in one of their boxes. Um, but I think that's important. I think it's important for people to think for themselves and not, uh, not conform to what others think and not shy away from speaking their thoughts and articulating them. I think one of the things I found that I'm able to do in my role, um, and, and, you know, I had a lot of votes where it's like uh, 24 to or 31 to one on the uh, board of governors. Are you the one? Yeah, I'm the one. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not afraid to speak up when other people are taking a different direction. And I don't claim that I know more or better, and I don't ever try and cajole or convince others to uh, vote with me on certain things. I just want to walk out with a clear conscience when I'm voting on these things and vote my conscience. And so it's, it's a tough situation to be in, but I found that sometimes what I do is when I'm speaking up about a topic, it it empowers others to feel like they can speak up and voice their own concerns as well. And you have to do that in a way where you have these respectful debates and you can't have shouting. And I was critical of, um, I'm hopeful for the new student body president, but I was critical of the fact that she brought a megaphone to uh, the one board meeting that I attended and was yelling obscenities at the board. When you get to that point, you can't have that dialogue or that respectful discussion. And so I'm hopeful that she brings a mindset of wanting to have that conversation rather than shout down or yell down or tell somebody you're wrong, I'm right, but more let's talk about it. Maybe, you know, she is right or I'm wrong, and but you're never going to get to that conversation if you shout down the other person. Amen. Well said. So common ground, where are you at? How do you find that with someone like that in particular? I think you, you first seek to find things you have in common. And, you know, I've, I was on the BOG for eight years and felt like I'd found common ground with their um, um, student body presidents uh, over the years. Uh, Isaiah uh, Green, Mo Green's um, uh, son, 
is a great example. He was a um, member of the board. He's the one that introduced me to Clubhouse, invited me on there. We would have, you know, a lot of uh, uh, lunches and dinners and chit chat and conversations. And I think it's important to do that. But I, you have to leave the hyperbole at the door too. You can't. You can't be personal. You can't attack the person personally. You can't. Um, you can't exaggerate. You can't lie. You got to own your comments and your feelings and be willing to share them and say the same thing to one person that you would say to another. And that's why I never, I don't ever have to worry about being tripped up in a lie because I'm going to tell you exactly what I said. And I own my statements and I say some controversial things, but I'm willing to own them. And I think that's important is owning your, your own statements too. And your, your feelings. Well said. Well said. Well, Dale, you want to close this out? Yeah, it's interesting. I would love to hear the young lady with the megaphones perspective or the young man with the president of student body perspective. But to your point, Marty, it's just a, a, a discussion. You know, it's a discussion because once we get to that point, I, I think about our country today with everything going on with Russia, Ukraine. If we fight ourselves, and I'm not talking about UNC, you know, any of that. As a country, if our country is divided and we're busy fighting ourselves, our enemy is just looking back smiling, you know, because if you fight yourself, I don't have to worry about fighting you. So, Marty, thank you for Midtown. Thank you for when you get that vision and someone says, hey, we want to put a, a grocery store on the black part of town. Hey, Mount Zion over here, we have 43 acres, so we're bringing dirt to the party. We're going to bring some dirt to the party and we're going to be a partnership and build and everything. So, hey, don't forget about us over here and we can bring some dirt to the party because it's nothing like playing in dirt, Bill. Yeah, I guess Marty would say you have to have the dirt to build. Correct, Marty? Yeah. And I'd I'd be glad to uh, go play in the dirt in any part of town with you, Adele. So now you never try to get any dollars from the city because when I sit here and look at Boom and I look at all these other places, they're getting millions and millions of dollars. But how about the local, the local folks who've been here forever doing what they're doing? Is no, no I just get to write checks. <laughs> I wow. get to write big property tax checks and then see them used out the other side. Really, all I want government to do is get the hell out of my way. That's why I'm a small <laughs> government, you know, libertarian minded because. They don't tend to help me when they're coming. I mean, it's usually, I'm like, God, another hurdle I have to go through. Oh, another problem. I can't get this permit. And it just drags out. And it's so, that's probably my main frustration in life is getting government approvals. And that's why I I think there's too much government. We need to start with zero. So like, what do you have to have? Well, you have national defense, otherwise you're going to get taken over. And then build up from there and then let more of the uh, state and local governments and private sector solve problems, too, because there's an awful lot of charities out there that are supported and probably would get even more support if people didn't have to pay out so much in taxes on certain things. I'm in that I'm in that I'm in that area. I love your statement about government. Just get out of the way. All right, my friend. Bill closes out. Well, Marty, thank you for being uh, a gracious guest and uh, we wish you the best. Uh, look forward to shopping at your Publix. What year is that due? So it'll take me about another two years to get that finished. So we're probably looking at 2024, 2025 for store opening. 
Okay, I'll still be eating solid food then, so I should, could probably go. <laughs> come, come on, Bill. The, the real question is, when Marty going to put us on the um, on the side of the building, one of the buildings or something like that? So that's what we got to start working on, Bill. Bill, we got to soften him up and say, you know, I usually don't do this, Odell and Bill, but for the two of you all. Well, I know how to get to him. I, I know his soft I can, spot. I can put you on the billboard. Uh, yeah, have that okay. up this week if you want to go on there. Yeah, well, we'll I know. take it. We, we, we give we'll him talk enough. Talk about bourbon. how much it costs. We go from there. We'll give him enough I, bourbon. I think we'll show up any place. I'll trade it for some <laughs> bourbon. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go. <laughs> oh, folks. guys, love you all. Yeah, love and you. Too. It's good, Marty. Thank you for always being a guest, and the fact that where you are and everything else, man. We're trying to make this thing better. It's hard though. You know it, and I know it. Finding common ground is hard. Talking about tough issues to people. Sometimes people don't want to talk about it, and you have to talk about it. So thank you again, sir, for joining us and talking about the tough issues. You all have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you all for having me. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.